Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI once said, to have Christian hope means to know about evil and yet to go to meet the future with confidence. Welcome to the 36th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because we have to remember that hope doesn't mean thinking everything is going to turn out fine. It means knowing it isn't and still going forward empowered by the strength of Christ and those around us. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, I'm assuming you've been working hard to maintain the social distancing rules put out by the public health officials around the country. As the weeks turn to months, I can't help but wonder what the mental and emotional impact of all this social distancing is on us. A segment on PBS provided some thoughts I'd like to expand on. First, for many living completely alone, the lack of human touch is going to be a big deal. The absence of human touch can be devastating for us. The loneliness, the lack of touch, the lack of in-person human contact can be so hard hard on all of us. Next, I think it's important to consider the impact of trauma and the struggle of having our anxiety cranked up to the max day in and day out. We can't help but get burned out, and this can wear on our personal emotional state, our relationships, and our faith life. So what can we do? First, we have to focus on ways that we can reach out and connect with others, even though we can't touch or hug or be with them physically. While FaceTime and other video apps don't provide the same kind of connection and the same kind of emotional positivity, they can help ward off loneliness and help us feel connected to those around us who are stuck in the same situation. There's never been a better time to reconnect with family and friends thanks to technology. Next, we have to place our coping skills for anxiety and living with trauma at the forefront of our minds. We have to keep going for walks if we can, or at least spending some time outdoors. We have to keep taking time to meditate or enter into some kind of calm and quiet prayer. We have to try our best to do those things which help us function at the top of our game and stay away from those unhealthy coping skills that will provide short-term relief but actually sink us deeper into anxiety and depression in the long term. Make a list of coping skills like taking a bath or watching a funny movie, making your bed or creating order in one space in the house, baking, anything that you find relaxing, read the list, pull it out when things get tough, and go through those coping skills to find some healing. On to the next topic. Anonymous hit me up in the DMs with a question that I think a lot of us probably have thought about. I'm a devout Catholic and LPC. That's licensed professional counselor for those of you playing at home. I work with addiction and really don't like the idea of a higher power. I'm working through your podcast. I'm not sure if you've touched on it before, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for sending this in. And let's start by praying for everyone suffering from addiction, everyone working to help them, and all the family members who love them and want the best for them. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. 
My first thought is that it seems to me that the term higher power is used to help AA and similar programs be inclusive and open to as many faith traditions, backgrounds, and cultures as possible. And I think it's a really good thing. Now, if the term higher power is being used as some sort of reference to a personal deity or a being who will take direction from ourselves or others, as you suggested in your DM, like some sort of genie that's obviously a different story. But all in all, I think the goal of being inclusive to help people feel that recovery is accessible to them is a good one. Now, one thing I will say about AA is that there are a bunch of groups within the organization that have different qualities. And based on the people I work with, those who typically need medication for depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, etc., I find it really important to connect folks with AA and NA groups that are open to members taking medication. Some are and some aren't. And I just wanted people to know that because being told you have to go off all your medication to be sober or that mental health medication is different than physical health medication because it alters your mind is a dangerous thing for those of us suffering from chronic mental health conditions. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today we have a super special treat because we have Sister Anne Flanagan of the one and only Daughters of St. Paul here to introduce you to Blessed James Albereone. Salvarione was born in a stable on April 4, 1884, the Friday before Palm Sunday. The poor health that led to his being baptized within 24 hours followed James throughout what was to be a surprisingly long life. It may have also provoked misunderstandings in his relationships with his hard-working father and older brothers, for the Albriones were a poor family who never owned their own land but worked as tenant farmers and skinny James was more cut out for schoolwork than for labor in the fields. Even when leading the cows to pasture, James had a book in his hand. That may have contributed to his expulsion from the seminary at age 16. No one really knows, but Alberione later remarked that he had spent the summer vacation reading obsessively. Was it a kind of addictive behavior? If so, with his vocation on the line, James Abrione hit bottom hard. He was conditionally accepted into a different seminary, and with the help of his spiritual director, Venerable Francis Chiesa, set out in a new direction. He created a plan for reading and study. He understood the power of the media for good and for harm. Now he read more books than ever, but with discipline and direction. And when God's hour struck, it was James Albrione who became the first apostle of the new evangelization, harnessing the power of communications media for the spread of the gospel as founder of the worldwide Pauline family. Blessed James Albrione died on November 26, 1971, just hours after a personal visit and blessing from Pope St. Paul VI. Let us pray. Blessed James, you knew firsthand the good that can be accomplished when the media are used as gifts from God. And you also saw with great sorrow the damage that is done when greedy and unscrupulous people manipulate human emotions and curiosity through sound and image. Today we entrust to your intercession in a particular way all those who suffer harm from their own misuse of media, especially those who use media in a compulsive or addictive way. Raise up new communications apostles across the globe 
who will make Jesus known through all forms of media, offering a positive reparation for the evil that continues to spread throughout the world when media are misused. Thank you, Sister Anne. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Olivia kicks us off. So often I come back to the thought in therapy, if I knew what support to ask for, then I would have already asked for it. I felt this a few days ago when I was talking to a member of our university counseling services, and I mentioned that we're coming up on the first anniversary of the suicide of a friend and student. He was a senior theology major, well-loved in the Catholic community, and a big part of our liturgical choir, which is the most tight-knit club, practically a family that I've ever been a part of. This psychologist I was talking to noted that university counseling services should come up with some ways to support the choir around our friend's anniversary later this month, and he asked what I thought would be helpful to offer us during that time. I have no idea. What do we ask for, or how do we figure out what we need for support when we haven't been in that situation yet? How do we prepare ourselves individually and as a group for these upcoming days? Let's all join in together and pray for Olivia's friend, for Olivia, and everyone left behind grieving and suffering after a loved one dies by suicide. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions but in thy mercy hear and answer me amen imagine if we all knew the help we needed when we needed it so many of our problems would be solved unfortunately we don't we can't it's kind of like uh, when our son died people said let us know if you need anything but we didn't know what we needed so we never asked and the support from those folks never came I have found two things that jump to mind based on your question. One, it helps to uh, look to people who've been through an experience similar to you and see what they found helpful or looking back wish they had had to support them and then trying these things out. Also, when someone says, let me know if there's anything I can do for you, you can try responding by saying, thank you so much. What did you have in mind? This allows them to share what they'd be willing to do and it might be helpful for you in seeing what you might need. Now, number two, with anniversaries coming up, I have found the best thing to do is schedule the day ahead of time to ensure some kind of healing event or activity and to remember that at least in my experience, it's typically the days and weeks leading up to the anniversary that are more covered in depression and anxiety than the actual day. Lastly, I just want to encourage you and everyone listening to pray for those we know who have died by suicide. Keep on praying. Remember, the Catechism says in paragraph 2283, quote, We should not despair of the eternal salvation of persons who have taken their own lives. By ways known to him alone, God can provide the opportunity for salutary repentance. The church prays for persons who have taken their own lives. We have to remember this. We have to share this message, and we have to pray for souls like it's nobody's business. Travis checks in next. Any tips on anger and how to deal with it? I have trouble with anger, especially with family members. I tend to have higher standards for family members, and I get angry when they don't do the right things. Thanks for sending in this question, Travis. First off, everyone listening is going to stop what they're doing and pray for you and everyone who struggles with anger. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, 
Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. First off, we are all able to learn how to control our anger. We aren't locked into reacting with anger when someone doesn't do what we want or when they don't do what we want them to do or doesn't behave in a way we think they should behave. We always have a choice to make. Certainly our past experience, our present mental health, even our hunger at any given moment in the day may make it harder for us to react appropriately or the way we want to. But we have to at least note that we are mostly in control of ourselves and realize that the issue is most likely with us and not with others. That being said a couple of tips when our family members aren't doing what we think is the right thing we have two options one realize we have no control over them and adjust our expectations or two if we have some control we can take care of things ourselves rather than getting angry at someone else for example if my wife leaves used tissues all over the house she doesn't which is why it's safe for me to use this example I can get angry at her and I can yell at her to try to get her to change her ways but that's not very effective uh, and it's not a great way to be in a relationship so instead since I have control over the thing that's making me angry, I can simply pick up the tissues myself out of love for her and just let it go. Now, if I'm getting angry because my brother is addicted to methamphetamine and won't do the right thing, meaning refusing to get treatment, refusing to get help, etc., in this case, I have to recognize that I have no control over the behavior of my brother and give it over to God a bit. Sure, we have to be there to help, uh, but if we keep allowing ourselves to get angry over the poor choices of our brother and that he, the poor choices that he keeps making, that's kind of on us, and we need to take steps to let it go for the sake of our own mental health and well-being. Before I move on, though, I have to remind everyone of this. No one can read your mind. So you can't really get angry at people for not meeting your expectations if you haven't made those expectations clear to them or let them know that things aren't going well in a calm way early on. This is one of the most important pieces of advice for every relationship we have. No one can read our minds. We'll be praying for you, Travis. Anonymous is here to wrap us up. I have been sexually abused by a family member when I was 11 while he thought I was sleeping. As a psych major, I know this affects me, who I am, and how I see the world right now, but I can't seem to point out how it has affected me. Also, would it be helpful to confront that family member in the future? I have no grudges or hatred against him, but I was just wondering if confrontation would help or worsen the situation. Thank you so much for bringing this question up, Anonymous. I'm sure there are so many listening who appreciate you having the courage to send it in. Let's all stop and pray for Anonymous and every single person who has experienced the horror of sexual abuse. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. First, I just want to say how deeply sorry I am that you were put in this situation by a family member, that you had to suffer through this experience. It never should have happened, and I'm just so deeply sorry. The fact that you've selected psych as your major is super exciting to me, and I hope you find all the joy and intellectual stimulation that I have found delving into this world for my education and career. 
you're right that this experience has surely had an impact on your life, who you are, how you relate to others, etc. And in fact, most of the experiences we have in our lives impact us in these ways. Everything we've been through, good, bad, and in the middle, have molded us, shaped us, and made us who we are today. That being said, it's not always easy to figure out how a specific event or experience, even traumatic ones, have affected us. And it's pretty clear that two people who experience similar events in their lives can respond, react, and be changed in completely different ways because of that experience. And I think this is important to remember because we might go looking for how an experience changed us, expecting to find something specific, something that we feel should be there because of what we've gone through. And yet we have a hard time finding it because we're looking for something we really can't predict. How an experience will have changed us, if that makes sense. Common places to look uh, are our relationships. Uh, Are we having issues with trust? Is there some other collection of impairments happening in our lives? These are all things we can unpack, but again, they're not necessarily going to be what you might expect. As for confronting the family member, this is really something that you would only able to be discerning on your own. My suggestion would be to get connected to a therapist, if you aren't already, who can help you delve into the situation a little more deeply and work on trying to figure out what would be the best step forward for you. Please, please know that we'll be praying for you as you go forward. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. You can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. We've got some uh, episodes that are on the Patreon that you guys can check out that are about social psychology experiments. They're kind of fun. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you, and so will St. Dymphna.